When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossett, managing editor, FightfulMMA.com. You can go there to get all of your MMA news, and you can go there to join in on our live discussions of UFC events, hundreds of comments, several, I mean, tons of commenters, rather. Join our community, uh, take part, have a good time. That's what tonight was. Oh, man, there was a lot to like about UFC Fortaleza. Now, we will cover this event at length on Tuesday's Fightful MMA podcast with Showdown Joe and James Lynch. We're going to go ahead and get into results, and I'm going to show you all some highlights from these shows. There's just so much positive to come out of this event. First off, let's talk about the pacing. And we're really going to hit this one hard on Tuesday because this is a topic that myself, Joe, and James have really went at for a long time. And I was told uh, by somebody in the USC this afternoon, expect the pace to be a little bit more brisk. I had posted it on Twitter at Sean Ross app. And boy, was it the entire event start to finish five and a half hours. Wow. There are sometimes these UFC events get started at six 15 and they do not end until 1am. So we're talking five and a half hours, nonstop action, as opposed to, Six six and a half hours, six hours, 45 minutes. Boy, that extra hour or so, it really does a lot. But not just that, because they're in Fortaleza, which is two hours ahead of uh, Eastern time, we got the, the card starting at 5 p.m. Eastern. Boy, do I love that, too. Now, at the same time, you do, if you're on the West Coast, you, that's a 2 p.m. start time. But, man, I didn't see one person complaining that the show was too early. I saw a lot of people happy about it, though. I saw a whole lot of people, myself included, thrilled that I don't have to be. We're not on the air at 1 a.m. right now. It's 1045 Eastern. Man, Joseph Boza says, I knew Sean would love it uh, because on the East Coast, UFC cards suck. Yeah, man. Before I put my eggs primarily in that pro wrestling basket, I'd considered moving to the West Coast. That way it would be easier on me to cover these events, but. Ended up not doing so. That was a smart move. But uh, a lot of credit to ESPN and UFC for the pace of the show. And I understand the ESPN shows are going to start roughly 9 p.m. Eastern too. Not quite as good as 8, but I'll take it. Not just that. When when I tell you this was a a five-and-a-half-hour card and it started at 5, usually what the UFC and and their distributors do is they budget a half hour for each fight. So if they start at 5 and they plan on the uh, main card going on at 8, then they'll have six fights. No, they had seven fights on the prelims. Oh, and they made it. And then, usually on the main card, you have five fights. But no, that that main card started at 8 p.m., ended at 10.30. So two and a half hours, and you got six fights there. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Also, uh, didn't hurt that you had five finishes on that main card. Let's go ahead and talk about the prelims. Uh, one of my, I got five on it picks 
which is a uh, UFC betting flyers. Rogerio Bontarin defeated Magomed Bibilatov via split decision. I didn't know how you could put a successful flyweight at that type of betting line. I thought that was ridiculous. Now, did I think Bibilatov was going to win? I did. But Bontarin should, uh, you had to put five on it there. It was well worth it. Geraldo de Freitas defeated Kolaris by unanimous decision. Perhaps the most curious thing about this was the fact that de Freitas was getting shouted at by Michael Bisping. Like, like, like he was getting coached. It was unbelievable. You have number 12, Saeed Nurmagomedov making short work of Ricardo Ramos. Now, this fight was at Bantamweight. Saeed jumped up. He said, you know what? I'm not going to wait around. Let's go ahead and do this at Bantamweight. Finish that fight in two and a half minutes. He is one that you got to look out for. He is not a, a family member of not uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. He is a close family friend, I hear. But he picks up a win. When you're, when you're looking at him now, you got to imagine that, that something big is on the horizon for him. And when, when I when I look at him, and he's moving up, so he abandoned flyweight. He had beaten J- Justin Scoggins there, and that was that was it. He had one split decision win uh, that got him that victory, or that got him that spot in the division, which should tell you the state of that division. If your one win is against a guy who gets cut from the UFC right after, and it's a split decision, and you're ranked number twelve. Well, maybe it's time to pack it in. Maybe it's time to pack it in. But here's the thing. I only want flyweight to go away if we can get 165. That's it. And Dana White, for whatever weird reason, is dead set against that. Said Nurmagomedov, I don't think, is getting a top 15 opponent at the Bantamweight division. I don't know if he'll move back to flyweight. But I, I would find it hard to believe that he gets a top 15 opponent just because he's ranked number 12 at flyweight. Don't look for Junior Albini to be ranked anytime soon or in the UFC. So I've mentioned to you guys that Junior Albini's story really tugged at my heartstrings. He told the story before his first UFC win last year about how his his child was playing playing with shampoo bottles. And that's all he had. And how he didn't get paid for a lot of his first fights, which makes... Uh, about 10 people who booked him, scumbags, just total scumbags. He had some spots of brilliance in this match, but man, did his inexperience show. Rosenstruck defeated him uh, via TKO round two. And a- am I expecting anything big out of Rosenstruck? Not really. He looked like if you get handled in the ground by Junior Albini like that, well, then. You've got some work to do. And Rosenstruck is very young in his career. He's, he's a 30-year-old guy. He's about to be 31. But, um, I mean, this was his UFC debut. And he's facing a guy who is now on a three-fight losing streak who who a lot of people thought a lot of. But he's he had some experience in Ryzen. Uh, took several years off uh, from, from the MMA game, at least. But he's been training for quite a while. It doesn't necessarily reflect that, though. I imagine he'll get a pretty quick turnaround, probably spring. Talgo Alves defeated Max Griffin by split decision. I don't know how he got this decision. Wait, yeah, I do. They're in Brazil. Hideous decision. Now, this was a great fight. This was a barn burner. This was a blast. Uh, there's not a lot to break down. It was a, it was a great brawl, but Max Griffin should have won that fight. Talgo Alves, wild to think that man is 35 years old. 
He has been in the UFC uninterrupted since 2005. UFC Fight Night 2, he was on that show in Vegas. His next show is UFC 56. We're in the 230s now. Now, an interesting thing, despite all this, the, the losses that he's incurred, he had won one of his last five fights before this. He had never lost three in a row. He had lost two in a row in the UFC three different times. He had had five full calendar years where he went without wins. That is unbelievable. In his hometown of Fort, Fortaleza, as uh, Seda Wolf points out, now we're talking about a <laughs> a guy who, when he was when he fought at, among the best at 170, he had reach issues because he, yeah, you know, he was a <laughs> he was a uh, I think he had like a 68 inch reach. And now you're seeing athletes that are that are built even better. Max Griffin's one of those guys. Max Griffin, I think, had had to reach eight inches longer than Tiago Alves. And I feel for Max Griffin because there, there's a chance he might get cut. He's had four straight fights, four straight decisions, although this one was very exciting. He's lost to Melender and uh, Zaleski Dos Santos, who are really tough customers. He's lost to Colby Covington and... I had mentioned on the the preview show that when he steps up in competition, he has trouble. This wasn't really a step up in competition. Not like Colby Covington or Zaleski DeSantos or Curtis Melender. But uh, I hope Max Griffin gets another shot. Because it took him a while to get into the UFC. I remember there were people talking about him after he won. I think it was the West Coast Fighting Championships as a possible uh, UFC contender and he had a run in Tachi Palace fights that, that was very, very good, but Max Griffin deserves another shot. Mauro Romero Barrela defeated Tyler Santos. Not a lot to talk about in this one. But Marcus Perez defeated Anthony Hernandez via Darsh choke or an anaconda choke, rather. They called it a Darsh. They called it an arm triangle. That thing was an anaconda choke. Good win for Marcus Perez, but let's move on to the main card. Sarah Frota was one of my I got five on five on it. Then she showed up in a different weight class than Livia Renata Souza. And she met some success too. That that weight and that size played a big role in this fight. Now, Livia Renata Souza, I believe, is a top 10 talent at straw weight. But she is a moderate to small size straw weight, in, in my opinion, even though she's fought at flyweight before. And, and some of her early fights were at flyweight. But that being said, Sarah Frota was is a pretty big well or flyweight welterweight, and Souza was able to overcome and win. I would like to see Souza get a top ten opponent now. Uh, she, with it, besides that one hiccup, I think it was in Invicta, looked very very good. Was champion over there, twelve and one in her career, and still taking this fight speaks volumes. The fact that she she took this fight, despite the fact that Sarah Frota showed up closer to flyweight than she did strawweight, that says a lot. And she got back in. She tried, I think, from what I understand, she tried to get back in the cage even sooner after her UFC debut. But uh, she's riding the wave now. She's won three fight or four fights in a row. I wouldn't mind seeing her fight Angela Hill again. I think that one makes sense. Why not run that back? 
she she's not cutting a lot of weight. She can maybe have a quick turnaround. Maybe. Especially if she wants to insert herself into the title picture. Now, that being said, the title picture, what is the title picture right now? Well, you got to imagine that Jessica Andrade is getting that title shot because they're booking Tatiana Suarez against Nina Ansaroff on that Nunez home card. So that being said, Susan maybe doesn't need to get back in the cage so soon. As Sada Wolf pointed out, um, she barely cuts weight these days. That, that is, that's positive for a quick turnaround. But the... The Hill rematch, I think, shows where both fighters are, comparatively speaking, to where they were back then. I don't know what the Sarah Frota fight shows us, besides the fact that Souza has some balls and will take on somebody who misses weight to an almost embarrassing level. Angela Hill is the right opponent there, and even though Angela Hill's not like on a hot winning streak or anything, the Courtney Casey fight was a split. Just throw them back in there. Like I said, Swar- the winner of Suarez and Ansaroff's getting the title shot. UFC would love Suarez or Ansaroff to get a title shot. And I would imagine, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't know where the, the Nama Units fight is going to take place. But um, I, from what I understand, it's going to be in Brazil. If they do that, at least that's what, uh, yeah, it's going to be, at yeah, UFC 237 in May. So they, they are going to stack up that show, and Nami Yunus and Andrade are going to be on that show. Suarez and Ansaroff will probably serve as emergency fights or emergency fighters for, for those as well. Johnny Walker. Johnny friggin' Walker, man. That was outstanding. Johnny Walker stepped in. Threw a chicken dinner at Justin Ledette, who Middle Easy described as the first open flat earther in the UFC, which I thought was funny. Caught Ledette by with a back fist. That's a wrap. Now, Johnny Walker threw a soccer kick. It grazed the leg of Ledette, and there was an unnecessary amount of scolding by the, the UFC broadcast team. And a lot of people says, oh, he should be DQ'd for intent. That ain't the way it works. You don't get DQ'd for something that didn't happen. You don't get punished for for a foul that didn't occur. It didn't happen. Oh, by the way, soccer kicks to the leg. Soccer kicks to the body. Soccer kicks to the shoulder. Soccer kicks to the arm. Those are all legal tactics. Go back and watch John Jones' first MMA fight. He won by soccer kicking a guy in the body. Those are legal tactics. You can't soccer kick ahead to somebody. You can't stomp anybody, from what I understand. Soccer kick to the legs, soccer kick to the body, just fine. So while, regardless of intent, it doesn't matter what he intended to do. What actually happened was not a foul. Walker uh, had that Contender Series win in August, and man, that Contender Series has been a proven proven thumbs up thus far. He beat Khalil Roundtree, beat Justin Ledette. He wants to fight again next month in London. I say do it. I say do it. Throw him on there against a fringe top 15 guy, ideally not a wrestler. Or, you know what, Patrick Cummins. Throw him in there against a Patrick Cummins or somebody like that. 
because Patrick Cummins gets cracked once, that that's a wrap. That's the that's been the blueprint on Patrick Cummins since he came into the UFC. It, since his first fight, he grabs a hold of you. You're probably screwed if you punch him in the face. You're probably going to win, with a couple of rare exceptions throughout his career. Yeah, man, I didn't agree with the commentary. Just like finger wagging him throughout all this. I, I didn't understand it. I, I didn't like it. It seems like a, a talking point to just make something out of nothing. Charles Oliveira defeated David Tamer. Boy, was this fight just a bizarro world. So first off, David Tamer immediately pokes Charles Oliveira in the eye. Ouch. Referee takes a point away. I am all in favor of that. Put up your damn fingers. People poke somebody in the eye, it's going to affect the fight. Also, if I'm a fighter and I got a ref 30 seconds into my five-minute break saying, oh, can you see, can you see? I'm going to say, quote, piss off for about four and a half minutes, doc, end quote. What benefit do you have of telling that ref you can see or you can't see? That's why the referee took the doctor aside and said, give him his time. He needs his time. So shortly thereafter, another eye poke happens, but the ref didn't see it. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. So all the goodwill that was developed because of that point being taken away was quickly evaporated. Charles Oliveira then proceeds about two or three times during the first round to call a timeout in which you cannot do, and the referee informs him, you can't do that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me tell you what I didn't expect. I didn't expect Charles Oliveira to piece up David Tamer on the feet. Now, David Tamer got his licks in. And uh, again, we we break this down in a much more nuanced fashion on the Tuesday Fightful MMA podcast. I'm able to go back and review footage again, check things over that I don't have the luxury of doing on the fly. But Charles Oliveira, that, that front kick that he threw, was amazing. I think that poked Tamer's eye, which is a completely legal tactic, which is kind of funny. But when you look at Charles Oliveira and what he did, and boy, was I happy to not hear him want to go back to 145. Charles Oliveira set up David Tamer. He beat David Tamer at his own game, and then went back to his game being Oliveira's game and finished him off with a with an anaconda choke. He extends his record for most UFC submission wins with 13. That's three submission wins since September. It's unbelievable. This guy, under the radar right now, Charles Oliveira is making bank right now. He's probably, it might get a performance of the night or fight of the night, maybe. But he got three in a row leading into this. Since June, 
The man ha- is 4-0 since June with four submission wins. What can you say about that? Get him a top 15 fight. And you know who I'd like to see him against? Gregor Gillespie. And why do I want to see him against Gregor Gillespie? Because Gregor Gillespie has a way of doing things to people from a wrestling perspective that don't seem exciting until he puts them away. Oh, apologies. It's almost not my mic over. Gregor Gillespie fights aren't always like... (laughs) He'll have a performance of the night or have a finish, but the early goings, the heat isn't really on. I think Charles Oliveira will put the heat on him, and I think that's a damn good fight. Gregor Gillespie, 6-0 in the UFC. I think that should be a co-main event of an ESPN Plus card. Is it? Is it going to be? Probably not. If you take Gregor down to Brazil, maybe. He's done it before. He fought Franca in his debut in Brazil. He'll do it. I love that fight. Charles Oliveira, Gregor Gillespie. See where they're at. See where Gillespie is in this division. See where Oliveira is in this division. It's a good one. And man, I I got a lot of respect for Charles Oliveira. He's a guy who, after that Felder loss, you look at him and it's like, man, he he got beat by Holloway. He's got beat by Pettis, by Lamas, by Felder. Edgar, Swanson, Cerrone. A lot of these guys who were at the top upper echelon of their divisions. Now, he, he's beaten the Hatsu Hiyokis, the Jeremy Stevens, the Nick Lentz, Will Brooks, people who are a little bit, 10 to 15, roughly. And that Elkins win looks better all the time. This is not the same Elkins. I want to see him against a good top 10, top 11 lightweight. I, we, I don't know what that weight cut did to him at at featherweight, but it can be good. Let's get that Gregor Gillespie fight going. Whoo, Damian Maya defeated Lyman good. What can you say, man? Big bank take little bank right there. Damian Maya imposed his will. He I call him the knuckleballer, man. He's the type of guy he's not gonna get hit a lot. And if he keeps doing that He's going to be able to fight until he's 45, 46, and he's 41 right now. He just turned 41. This stopped a three-fight losing streak, and I thought that if he lost this fight, that might be it for him, whether it be in the UFC or altogether. That ain't happening now. And Joe and James called this. They they had Damian Maia winning this. I, I thought maybe Lyman Good was going to pull it off. Boy, was I wrong. You do look at the quality. Woodley, Covington, Usman. Those are the guys that that have beaten him recently. You want to go back? How about Rory McDonald, Jake Shields, Chris Weidman? Those are the people that have beaten him. Everybody else, fall victim. I don't see Damian Maya's skill set evaporating anytime soon. I don't see it going anywhere. Doesn't seem like he has any trouble making the weight. And then if he does, he can try his hand at middleweight and see how that how that goes. But Lyman Good, man, this was this was his chance, in my opinion. If he was going to go on a run, I think he kind of had to do it now. And I know that seems weird to say at thirty three, but he's about to be thirty four, and he ha- he can't he can't compete at the top of the division. Damian Maya, Zaleski, Dos Santos, he can't do it. Andre Koreshkov beat him too. Ben Askren beat him. 
has trouble with elite opponents. And Damian Maya ain't that elite anymore. His jiu-jitsu is elite, make no mistake. And the way that he finishes people is elite, make no mistake. Where do I think that Damian Maya goes from here? Well, he's going to rake in the cash. He's probably making a good amount of money. Uh, they haven't been anywhere that reveals his pay recently. I don't think. Actually, yeah. He fought. Uh, he fought in California and made 110 grand to show. So he's making probably a good, a smooth. All things considered, probably 250k between the Reebok pay, the win and show bonus, all that stuff. My God, man. So you can fight a couple times a year and do that and show up in Brazil, help bolster a card in Brazil. Yeah, they're going to do that. Get him on the May card. Why not? Throw him in there. Jose Aldo defeated Hanato Moicano. TKO strikes round two. We might as well call it round one because they didn't do shit in the first round. I'm going to give you all uh, some highlights and a look at the Jose Aldo performance. My God, was that special. That was awesome, man. Jose Aldo is one of the most underappreciated fighters in UFC history. Let's take a look. And first off, let's talk about that iconic entrance of his. Run the Town. That is his song, man. That is his now, Aldo <laughs> really pieced up Hanato Moicano. And I can't show you too much before it gets demonetized, but that's the drubbing that he put on Moicano. And that, that's what happened. It was a flurry that turned into a blizzard. I could not believe that Jose Aldo was a betting underdog. Now I get it. Hanato Moicano is the hot hand, youth, all that stuff. But I'm looking at Jose Aldo and I'm thinking, yeah, man, a lot of cage miles. He's 32. He's 32. He's been facing Max Holloway and Conor McGregor when he loses. He just beat Jeremy Stevens, who was on quite a roll. He beat Frankie Edgar. Now, that was a couple years ago, but he beat him. Now, we got a Jose Aldo who's talking about possibly retiring at the end of the year, and he's just schlumping. The number five guy in the weight division. You know that uh, Volkanovski and Frankie Edgar got to be thrilled, man. Joseph Boza Boza says he had 14 straight title fights. Yeah, he had 11 straight pay-per-view fights, and now he's been on a couple of TV shows, not as the main event. Which is the funny thing. You hear, why, why is not Aldo the main event? Why is it? He didn't need to be. Apparently, he didn't need those five rounds. It makes me very happy to see Jose Aldo doing well. I don't know how you don't put him on UFC 237. I don't know how you, you, look, you survey the landscape and you don't say, you know what, give him what he wants. Make him happy. Because uh, he is a proven draw in the area as well. Cub Swanson offered up his thoughts about the fight. Said big win for Aldo with the the big googly eyes. It makes sense to do that again. The first fight was an eight-second drubbing way back in the WEC days. Do that. Put that third, fourth from the top. 
UFC that UFC pay per view. UFC two thirty seven shaping up real nice. If you if all does go to plan, and you have Nunez home, and you have Suarez Ansaroff, and you have Andraj and Nami Yunus, and then you get Aldo on that card too. Man, is that good? Meanwhile, you look at next week's card, and from two from the top, yuck, yuck. Joseph Boza says, "Do you put them on pay per view or ESPN?" I think you put them on pay-per-view. I I really do. I think that you bolster that pay-per-view by putting him on it. I think it's the right thing to do. As for Moicano, well, look, there there are a lot of options for him. I don't think that... I don't think that fighting Chad Mendez is a a terrible idea. Mendez, who, who looked promising in even in defeat at at some points, I think that would be a good matchup for him. Main event time. Let's get into it. I'm going to pull up uh, some of the highlights. Marlon Marias defeated Rafael Asuncao. Let's take a look at what began the, or what started the beginning of the end. That huge set of overhands really did it. For Marias. Now, I spoke on the, the Tuesday podcast about how a Sunsau has very limited footwork because he had that ankle surgery. And when you're at a bantamweight division, that can be a rough, rough start. Well, Marias set him up perfectly by attacking uh attacking the already limited footwork of Marias or of a Sunsau. But let's be honest, this fight shouldn't have even happened. This fight shouldn't have even existed. We have people saying Mendez is retired. Mendez, yeah. He's still ranked, I think, isn't it? Or no, that's according to my rankings, which don't even update for some reason on UFC.com. Go figure. I would imagine Mendez fights again. Anyway, back to the point at hand. Marias beat a Sunsau their first time out. Media said so, fans said so. Only people who didn't say so were a couple of jobber judges. Marias should be on a just insane winning streak right now. What Marias has done throughout his career is also very underappreciated. And he should be 5-0 and in the UFC. He should be riding a, like a 19-fight winning streak. Or like a 16-fight winning streak that includes wins over Shaman Marias, Tyson Nam, Miguel Torres, Asuncao, Dodson, Sterling, Rivera. It is... <laughs> Marias, fortunately, was able to uh, crack Asuncao with those two overhands because he set him up with those low kicks. Asuncao got so worried about that already limited footwork that I mentioned getting further limited that... He kind of forgot about the danger that was in Marias' hands and, and his striking power. And after Jimmy Rivera and after Aljamain Sterling, how can you? And when you have a bantamweight putting people away in three and a half minutes and under, and I'm talking three big dogs of the division, you go with that hot hand. All due respect to Henry Cejudo. Dillashaw needs to defend that title, and he needs to defend that title against Marias. Because Mariah should have got that damn title shot. 
I don't know why people were clamoring for Cejudo versus Dillashaw. That shit was weird, man. Now, Cejudo did what Cejudo was going to do. You don't have any CSF fluid in your head to cushion blows. You're going to get knocked out. Sorry, TJ. That's what happens. Fight in your division. Do that. If Henry Cejudo wants a 135-pound title shot, give it to him against whoever wins this fight. Let Cejudo fight Benavidez, who technically has a win over him. I mean, you made Marias fight a Sun Tzu again. And a hell of a lot more people thought that Marias beat a Sun Tzu the first go-around than thought Cejudo beat Benavidez. And I thought Cejudo beat him too. But Cejudo Benavidez, Marias TJ Dillashaw, put him on the same card. Winners face off for the Bantamweight title. That's what I want to see. Now, I love the way that Marlon Marias handled it. After he claimed that he almost missed the fight because he had diarrhea all week. Amazing. Amazing. He said, TJ, I don't know if you deserve a title fight with me or a fight with me. Maybe you need to go back down, chase after the little boy's belt. Really liked it. Really liked it. We're going to have more on this Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern, Fightful MMA podcast. Leave us a thumbs up, guys. That stuff really helps. Subscribe. Spread the word. Join our live coverage every single uh, UFC event, every single Bellator event. We have live coverage and discussion. Come talk with uh, other wonderful MMA fans and viewers. I want to know what you guys thought about this show tonight. I want to know what uh, you guys expect next for a lot of these people. A lot of really great performances. This show was a breeze to cover. Marlon Marias with a quick victory. Jose Aldo with a, a, an emphatic victory. Damian Maya still looking good. Johnny Walker, 15 seconds. Charles Oliveira, that fight ruled. And then you had a lot of decisions on the prelims. But the prelim, you got seven fights in three hours. And six of them, or I think five of them were decisions. No, okay, four. Ah, oh, well. Got some good stuff in there. This was a smooth show. Hats off to the UFC. Hats off to ESPN for for making this what it was because this was a great show to cover. It was a great show to watch. Guys, thank you all so much for joining me. We're out.